So kids, I see Mr. Spenline's over there ready to take you out to children's worship. You can go ahead and uh, meet him over there. The rest of us, we're going to look uh, this morning at, uh, uh, continue our look at uh, the book of Numbers. We're up to Numbers chapter 27. Uh, that text is in the bulletin and also uh, up on the screens behind me. Uh, we're going to look at, yeah, Numbers 27 verses 1 uh, through 11. Um, and uh, let me just say a couple of things uh, to kind of help us unpack this a little bit. In fact, Becky, put, put my notes up there for a second. Would you do that? So last week when uh, we finished the second census, right? So the book of Numbers is called Numbers because there's a lot of numbers. And so there was a second census taken 40 years after the first one uh, where uh, uh, they needed to come up with a count for uh, who would be able to fight uh, as they go into uh, the promised land. Remember, the people of God are right there just across the Jordan River. They can see the promised land. They're in the plains of Moab there, and they're getting ready to cross uh, to take uh, the land. And so that's where we ended up last week. And so what you would expect... Uh, the rest of the book to be about is them going ahead and doing that. But what we're going to see is uh, that over the next several weeks is there are a number of things that God uh, needs to address and things that uh, are going to come up about inheritances and offerings and succession plans and those sorts of things before they actually begin uh, the trek over uh, over to the promised land. So uh, so we kind of have a break in the action uh, to deal in today, particularly uh, in a situation that's going to require some judgment uh, about some inheritance. And so that's what we're that's the context that we come at uh, Numbers chapter 27 uh, this morning. So let me read it to you. It's, a, it's in the bulletin and also up on uh, the screens behind me. Numbers 27, 1 to 11. Uh, this is the word of God and we should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. Then drew near the daughters of Zelophehad, the son of Hefer, son of Gilead, son of Machir, son of Manasseh, from the clans of Manasseh, the son of Joseph. The names of his daughters were Mala, Noah, Hoglah, Milcah, and Tirzah. And they stood before Moses and before Eleazar the priest and before the chiefs and all the congregation at the entrance of the tent of meeting, saying, Our father died in the wilderness. He was not among the company of those who gathered themselves together against the Lord in the company of Korah, but he died for his own sin, and he had no sons. Why should the name of our father be taken away from his clan because he had no son? Give to us a possession among our father's brothers. Moses brought their case before the Lord, and the Lord said to Moses, "The, the, the daughters of Zelophehad are right. You shall give them possession of an inheritance among their father's brothers and transfer the inheritance of their father to them. And you shall speak to the people of Israel, saying, If a man dies and has no son, then you shall transfer his inheritance to his daughter. And if he has no daughter, then you shall give his inheritance to his brothers. And if he has no brothers, then you shall give his inheritance to his father's brothers. And if his father has no brothers, then you shall give his inheritance to the nearest kinsman of his clan and he shall possess it, and it shall be for the people of Israel a statute and rule as the Lord commanded Israel. So we're going to talk today about inheritance, and I know that that's a, that's a weird and a hard thing for us uh, to think about. But the fact is, there's so much in the Bible about inheritance. Uh, in fact, uh, probably more in the New Testament even than the Old Testament. 
Jesus uh, is uh, our older brother and we are joint heirs with him, right? Uh, and so there's a lot uh, in the Bible about that. And so, so the fact is, when we, when we see and we recognize that, then it's, it, 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 it kind of changes the way we're, we're oriented towards this. And so this issue of inheritance is a big deal. And we're going to see what a big deal it is uh, as, as we look into the text. But a, a couple of the things that we're going to have to get at is that the way we tend to think about inheritance and the way the scriptures talk about it, particularly the Old Testament, uh, is, uh, is, is kind of unusual. So, uh, after, uh, my, my dad's funeral, we gathered at, uh, my mom and dad's house and we were eating lunch. And, uh, as we were getting done with eating lunch, my brother, who's the, the older brother, who's the executor uh, of the estate said to all the grandkids that were there and to us said, you know, while we're here, if there's anything you guys want to take with you, you should do that. So, um, I, there's a, my dad had a set of glasses, big glasses that I remember him drinking his iced tea out of when, when I was a kid that have pheasants and bird dogs and hunters on them. Big, big set of glasses like that. Uh, I, and I mentioned this in the early service and somebody came up to me and was like, wow, that, describe that to me more. You know, that, that sounds really awesome. And I'm like, um, <laughs> um, Think of what blue-collar people would drink their tea at dinner out of. This, this is, you know, this is not going to be on Antiques Roadshow, and you're suddenly going to find out that these glasses are worth, you know, a thousand dollars a piece. Because I looked. <laughs> yeah. So. Uh, well, uh, we're kind of standing around thinking about this. And my son, who had just a few weeks earlier moved to Georgia uh, for his f- first posting in the Army, and because he's a 23-year-old and he's a young man, it never occurred to him when he moved to Georgia that he might need a spoon and fork to eat with or a plate or maybe a pot, right? And so the light goes on for him, and he says, Hey, would it be okay if I got some silverware, which is, you know, old stainless steel that my mom and dad had for years. Could I take some of that back to Georgia with me? And my brother's like, yeah, sure, go ahead and do that. So because he is who he is, he goes into the utility room, comes out with a trash bag, opens the drawer up in the kitchen and dumps the the drawer in the bag and pulls out another one. Oh, yeah, there's some knives in here. I'll take that. Well, my nieces are standing there. They're just horrified. They're so horrified. They're like, Uncle Steve, your family's so needy. <laughs> but the truth is, they were horrified because Mama and Papa's stuff, not very good. Not up to snuff. We think of inheritance as a commodity. Right, a stuff, an investment, or stuff that we get. Right, stocks and bonds, or or uh, a family heirloom, or, or whatever. And those things are fine uh, as far as they go. But in this context, for these people, uh, and particularly as far as the Lord is concerned, it's about something else. And so 
That's why there is all this attention paid to this. Um, because the, the way you have, what you have to see here is these people are on the cusp of receiving the inheritance that God promised Abraham. Right? Centuries before. And so as, as they think about this, this is something that is, is important and, 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 and worth uh, wrapping their brains around. Now, now, you may have read this and you may have thought, you know, this seems very unfair that these women uh, were excluded. These daughters, five daughters, were excluded from uh, the inheritance. And so let me, let me kind of uh, uh, help you understand a little bit about what's, uh, about what's going on here. Because this, this is alien. It's a different uh, kind of culture. And there's some things about this culture that you might not like, but I would, there are some things about it that I actually think uh, we could learn from. So um, in ancient Israel, sons had the right of inheritance, right? Now that's important because when Paul writes to us uh, in his epistles and he says that we are joint heirs with Christ, what he is saying to us is, is that the full on inheritance that Jesus Christ gets as our older brother, we now get, Right? Because there was a clear pecking order, right? So sons had the right of inheritance. But even within that, the oldest son received a double portion while the rest of the sons divided the rest. Now, as the second son, I find that to be unacceptable. <laughs> really? That's, I, I, I just think, well, how come just because he's born first, why does he get twice as much as I do? Those of you who are older, you might disagree with that, right? But I'm like, come on, come on, let's straighten this out, right? So uh, the oldest son received a double portion while the rest of the sons divided up what was left. Now, we hear this and we think, well, that, that's a terrible thing. Well, it, it, the, the other thing that you have to see about this is a, another reason why inheritance is so important to these people is think about who they are. They're the children of Israel. Well, what did Israel do? He stole his older brother's inheritance. Right? So, you know, these are our people, right? I mean, this is, this is a, a, a good sense, a, a good place for us to look at this, to kind of un, understand what's going on here, right? So the oldest son received a double portion while the rest of the sons divided the rest. If a man had no sons... His estate went to his brothers, then uncle, then to any other male relative. Now, why is that? Well, this all had to do with maintaining family ownership of the land and the maintenance of the family name. Now, this is what's so important for us to understand, because what they're asking for here is not a stock portfolio. What they're asking for is they want to get the portion of land that would have been their father's had he lived and made it to the promised land, right? So the land was inherited from the Lord. And therefore, it was not just an investment or a commodity. The land stood as a memorial to what God had given. And so one of the things that you'll note if you read about the, the Jubilee laws and, and all of those things that God established was that, the, that this land, it was something that was precious. It, it, it represented for the, the people the very faithfulness and the mercy of God that God had said, I'm going to give you this land. And it wasn't just this land. It was this particular lot 
This particular piece of land, this is yours and it belongs to your family and it will always belong to your family. So every time an Israelite set foot on his land, whether he put a seed in it or took a sheep out in it or or whatever it was that he did, that was a reminder to him that there was a time when his people were slaves and that God had delivered them and not only delivered them, but had given them this tangible thing right there. And that it was a testimony and a memorial to the faithfulness of God. In many ways, it was not unlike a sacrament so that they could be reminded of the fact of the faithfulness and the mercy of God to them, right? So that, that that's one of the reasons why it was so key to keep the, the land within the, in the particular family because it belonged to them. That was what God had designed. Now, daughters received a dowry at the point of marriage. And often these dowries were quite large. Uh, they would involve clothes and furniture and uh, uh, livestock and uh, uh, jewelry and uh, gold and silver and all of those sorts of things, right? And so, so that was the way that the fathers would bless their daughters when they got married. The problem is, the problem is, these five girls are single. Okay. So this left single women after their father died with no inheritance. So there's here's the situation. And so these five girls, these five daughters, these five sisters go. And as the text says, they stand before Moses, Eliezer, all the chiefs of the people, the congregation, and the Lord at the tent of meeting. And this word to stand, the whole text uh, that's surrounding that, as, is, as if they are going to court to get justice uh, to make a claim. Now, I think this is a, re- this is a pretty remarkable thing uh, for us to, to, to see and for us uh, to understand as we look at this, because that's the context of what's going on here. And so it's important for us to, to understand the incredible confidence that they have to do this. Um, and, but not just to do it, but to do it in the way in which they're doing it, right? They, they believe, uh, next, next slide please, Becky. They believe that they have a God who sees them and who hears them. Now, I want to say, I want to be very clear with you about this. There, there is within this uh, text and within this thing that's happening here, something that you should think about, and it's this. When was the last time you felt like someone was hurt you, was unjust towards you, did something uh, against you? What was your first default? Was it, I will get my revenge. I will exact a payment. I will see to it that these people are punished. Or was your default to say, you know, I need justice here and justice is a legitimate thing, but, and I will seek justice, but I will seek it first and foremost and primarily through my God. And that, that's the thing that is, is so profound here, right? So the, the fact that they're able to do this, they had to believe that they would get a just hearing from their God. 
They have remarkable confidence that they are ready to go and, and before the tent of meeting, before the very presence of God, in the presence of Moses and the high priest and everybody, they're there to make their statement, right? Psalm 17, 1 to 2 says, Hear a just cause, O Lord. Attend to my cry. Give ear to my prayer from lips free from deceit. From your presence, let my vindication come. Let your eyes behold the right. That's, that's a description of who they are and how they think. That they, they believe that this God is just and merciful and that he will hear and respond to them. So they, they go to him first to get, uh, to get vindication in this situation. That's remarkable that they did that. They have remarkable confidence in this God. Because think about it for a second. These people, uh, what are, what's, what's the hallmark that we've noticed about the people of Israel every time something difficult comes? They complain. They whine. They murmur against God. But these women see an injustice. They, they're experiencing this. And what do they do? They believe that God will hear them and respond to them and be just to them. And so they go to him first. Secondly, they have remarkable confidence that there would be land to inherit in the first place. Now, that, you, that, that might seem a little odd to you, but the fact is uh, they're on this side of the promised land. They have not gotten there yet. They are banking on the fact that God will be good and faithful to, to his promise to see to it that they'll get this, right? So, so no land has been given. No, no, nothing like that's happened. All of that is out there in the future. But by saying, hey, we believe that God will be faithful to his word and we believe that he's going to get us there. And when we get there, we simply want our father's inheritance. Right. That's a remarkable. That's a pretty remarkable thing right there in and of itself that they're taking God at his word, especially, especially given the history of the people of God. Why are they still there 40 years later? Because they didn't believe God. Because they did not believe that he would get them to the promised land, right? And so we have this remarkable thing, and they speak very uh, clearly and plainly about their father, right? They have remarkable confidence in the justice of God. Look at what they say. Our father, right, died in the wilderness, Now, he was not among the company of those who gathered themselves together against the Lord in the company of Korah, but died for his own sin. Right? That is a remarkable picture for us. There's there's no defensiveness here. There's no no saying, listen, you know, um, uh, dad wasn't with that group of guys over there with Korah. But you know what? When the time came to believe God and to believe the report from the spies, remember when the spies come back and say, say what they said about the land, and, and rather than believe Joshua and, and Caleb, their dad, Zelophehad, apparently decided, you know what? We shouldn't go. And they're very clear. There's no defensiveness. They're not trying to sugarcoat it. They're not trying to cover it up. They're not trying to say, you know, dad was poorly potty trained or, or any of those sorts of things. They're saying, you know what? He died for his sin. Now, that, that's, that's a remarkable thing. They're saying that God was just in the death of their father. That he passed away with that, with that generation of people there in the wilderness and that God's judgment of, of that was a just judgment, 
Remarkable, isn't it? That, that they would say that and that they, they would look at it that way and they're not trying to sugarcoat it. One of, one of the things that my brother and I have done, uh, talked over the last couple of months is trying to figure out a little bit more about our family <clears throat> and particularly uh, our dad's dad, our grandfather. Uh, and what kind of guy was he really? He died when I was five years old. I remember going to his funeral and the few interactions I had with him before he died were terrifying. I never really liked him. And um, uh, he, would, he would take his false teeth out of his mouth and clack them at me. <laughs> he thought that was funny. Uh, and now, bear with me as I, as, I, as I tell you this, because these are some of the things that we, we know about him. Uh, he died in 1964. Uh, He never went to school. Never. I said that to somebody a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, he never went to school, and they thought I meant he didn't go to college. (laughs) I was like, no, he never went to school at all. What little schooling he had, he he bought and paid for himself. Uh, Never had running water in his house. Uh, One of my dad's older brothers hooked him up with the the Tennessee Valley Authority electricity in the late 50s. Uh, Never owned a car. Um, And and as best we can tell, even though he had 11 children and his wife died in childbirth when the last two were born, he was a traveling man. And he wasn't around very much. Uh, one of the ways we know that is we found uh, a death certificate uh, from one of the twins that was born there in 1935 when my grandmother died in childbirth. Uh, one of the twins died about six weeks later, and we found his death certificate. And my uncle, who was 16 at the time, received the death certificate and signed for it. Now think of your 16-year-old being in a situation where you lose a child and they have to go be the one to sign for that? Think, think about what kind of family we're talking about here. And so one of the things that we've thought about that is, um, wow, Jesus, please break whatever generational thing was going on with him for the rest of us. Now, I think he was a Christian. I think um, I, I, I do know that he prayed and I do know that what little bit of reading he could do, he did read the Bible and he, when he wasn't in a fight with somebody, actually occasionally attended church. Now, you know, we tend to look at these things and we tend to try to create some sort of uh, defensiveness around, you know, who we are and where we come from and, and that sort of thing. But these girls are like, you know, dad died because of his sin. And you know what? Every one of your children could say the same thing about you. Because when you die, it'll be because you sinned. The only reason why there's sin in the world is because there's death in the world. And the only reason why there's death in the world is because there's sin in the world, right? 
And so there's rather than create a saint out of everyone, we should honor our, 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 the, the people. And I think these girls are honoring their dad by being honest and direct and clear about what's happening there. But they're also trying to say we don't want his name to disappear. And so as a result of that, we want to make a claim to his inheritance. It's a remarkable honesty. People are only on that honest about things if they're confident in the love of God and the goodness and the justice of God. And then lastly, they have a remarkable confidence in the mercy of God. They don't think, they don't believe that God will hold the sins of their dad against them, right? And so they go and they make this claim and God comes back and says, you know what? They get their inheritance, just as if they were sons, right? Now, here's the thing, here's the thing for us to think about this. And, and this is something that I think is so key for us today. Um, what is your confidence in? Particularly when you've been wronged. It doesn't mean that we're passive and we don't strive and work for justice. But the very fact that there's any possibility of justice in the world at all resides not in human beings' ability to arrive at that, but because there is a God who knows his people, who loves them, and who sees them and hears them and responds to them. And so that's a, that's a key thing for us to see, that, that when we look at the cross of Christ, what we have to see there is, is that the justice of God is, is met out there on the cross for our sin. So that's a, that's, we, 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 have to, we have to have our confidence set first and foremost there, right? That our God uh, sees and hears and knows. And so wherever there is an injustice and we go striving and striding into that to address it, we, we first need to have our confidence and our understanding corrected that, that God himself is the source of justice and he's good and he's merciful and he takes up the cause to vindicate his people. So that's the first thing. The second thing that we, we need to see about this is if our confidence in times of difficulty and times of apparent uh, lack or, or less than as these uh, women are experiencing, if, if, our, if, if, if we have no confidence in the goodness and the mercy of God, then what will it do to us? It'll make us angry. It will make us bitter. It will make us shrill and uh, defensive. But our confidence in the goodness and the love of God will be able to, will allow us to work for justice in the confidence and the clarity of who this God is and what it is that he has done for us. We can rest in the fact that this God is for us, that he loves us, that he hears us. Thirdly, if this is true and this, this God has moved in the person of Jesus Christ because he lived, died, and rose again and secured for us a full inheritance, a full inheritance, the, the, the fullest inheritance possible, then I can, I can be generous and I can be merciful and I can be gracious, right? Because God has done those things for me. The person who believes that God is cheap, 
The person who believes that, that God is chintzy and, and, and is, is not free uh, in giving us an inheritance will be a person who will be tight and stingy with his time, his love, uh, all of those things, right? So we have the confidence today. We know, just as these women knew, that they could entrust themselves, their future and their lives, into the hand of, hands of this God who is good. If Jesus Christ has come and lived and died and risen again, and if we are joint heirs with him, how will he not also give us all things? I didn't make that up. Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. And after taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. And I assign to you as my father assigned to me a kingdom that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom.'" 